Samson's story is in chapters 13 through 16. This maybe goes without saying, I don't think it's a big surprise, but like if there is a miraculous birth story in the Bible, there are a few, six or seven, um, and if there's a miraculous birth story, if like God is like, I need this child to be born, then you can expect uh, great things or let's say significant things in the life of this person. Um, sometimes it's the baby, sometimes it appears, you know, God is even honoring as much the faith of the mother, like in the case of Hannah, or in the favored by God, Mary, and her faith in God. But always there are expectations, I think, when you have a miraculous birth story uh, for that child that's going to come in the world. Isaac, you know, born to uh, Abraham and Sarah, the child of promise, and this couple way past their childbearing years, miraculous birth. Um, I think you could do... um, uh, Jacob and Esau as well. Uh, there's miraculous stuff. I, um, Samuel, born in the world, the result of Hannah's prayer. You know, she is barren, and she prays to God, and God answers that prayer. And obviously, Samuel is an important spiritual leader of the people. John the Baptist, born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, miraculous birth, given that they are elderly as well. And, of course, Jesus being born to the Virgin Mary. Well, tonight, Samson is another miraculous birth in the Bible, an unexpected and celebrated birth to his parents. And so we'll pick it up in Judges 13, verses 1 to 7. Again, the Israelites did evil. Remember the the Judges cycle, if you've been here, this is a very familiar phrase to you. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years, long, long time. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her. Wow. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite. Not the same thing as a Nazarene. A Nazarite is a vow. He will be set apart to God from birth. And he, this is going to be an important child here, he will bring or begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will conceive. You will give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite from God from birth until the day of his death. So even before his birth, there are unmistakable signs that this person is going to have an amazing life. God has plans for this child. He will be an instrument for the deliverance of God's people. Now, for the record, his life would turn out to be an extraordinary life. Uh, I mean, it would be extraordinarily bad and extraordinarily good at the same time. So the whole spectrum of the extraordinary Samson will exhibit or experience in his life. 
And as you've seen throughout the book of Judges, God chooses to use people not necessarily based on their uh, morality, on their particular level of faith, on their particular skill set even. He chooses to use people uh, sometimes, oftentimes in the book of Judges, in fact, in spite of who they are, and even, as we'll see tonight and we've seen already, in spite of their personal choices. So Samson will be the poster child for this. God's ability to use all kinds of people for his purposes. So check this out, and I think you can accurately say this. I really think this is uh, not an incredibly um, out there kind of statement to make, but Samson's high point in his life, at least spiritually speaking, was in his childhood, in his younger years when he was living at home. I mean, the, the guy is set up for success. Miraculous birth. Pronouncements from angels about how God is to use this child set up from birth for success, given supernatural strength, uh, a veritable superman of the ancient world. His parents were amazing people, godly people who recognized that he was to be set apart for the Lord and, 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 and were going to uh, put around him these fences, these Nazarite vows to keep him holy, to keep him prepared for this, for this service to God. Now, you're likely aware that the spiritual high wouldn't last past his childhood. Every element of the Nazarite vow would be broken in his life by Samson. He would break his vow not to consume alcohol. He would break part of the Nazarite vow not to be around the unclean, around dead things. He would be around a lot of dead things in his life. And he would break his vow not to have his hair cut. He would break all of them, okay? Um, so, have, I mean, I was thinking this week about, Sam, uh, about Samson. And I just started thinking of some other people I know. And I don't know. I'll just put it out there. Have you ever known someone who peaked really early in life? I'm sure you have. You know, the person that was the, the captain of the football team or the person who won some significant award when they were 19 or 20. And then that was pretty much the high point. I mean, just with, it, with the NFL season starting and Josh Gordon this week, and you may or may not know who he is. But there are so many examples, Randy Gregory for the Cowboys, so many examples of people that have almost miraculous giftedness and managed to not be able to leverage that at all, really. And I bet you know people like that. I bet you've seen people like that who there were such incredibly high expectations for them. And then it kind of went south from there. Well, some people, the gift that they have, they are born with an extraordinary intellectual capacity, gift to make money perhaps, or a physical talent or physical attractiveness. Some people, it is their very gift that leads to their downfall. Their gift seems to cripple them, to come with an Achilles heel, if you will. How many have been given a gift like this and it's just ruined them. It kind of becomes an accelerant for all of their worst characteristics, for all of their worst moral flaws. 
and destructive pride develops and destructive patterns develop um, that do them in. Moving along, Samson had an incredible gift. He was incredibly, incredibly strong. Uh, People would marvel. Uh, Israelites and Philistines would marvel at the things this guy could do, but he ignored something even greater than his gift, which was the giver of the gift. He doesn't exhibit much of a relationship with God throughout his life. Uh, The one who equipped him and gave him all these tools to use, he doesn't seem to have much place for the path of God. And before we get into the sordid details of this guy's life, um, I want to share with you some words in the New Testament that the Bible gives when it's recapping Samson and some other judges that we've been reading about. Hebrews 11, this hall of fame of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 32, verse 34, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms whose weakness was turned to strength. I just kind of want you to remember that phrase, whose weakness was turned to strength. That is an interesting, interesting phrase. It just makes you think a little bit. Someone whose weakness becomes a strength. More about that later. Um, Now, with the other leaders that God raised up in the book of Judges, there are some similarities with Samson, and there are some pretty big differences. Um, We find the similarity. We find Israel at a point of, of chaos, Uh, Israel is under the thumb for all of the judges, under the thumb of some foreign power. Um, We find that in the other stories in the book of Judges that uh, God's people who've been under the thumb of this oppressive power for some time, they get on their knees, they start crying out to God. That's different. They don't do that in the case of Samson. In fact, it will appear that Israel has become very comfortable in their relationship under the thumb of the Philistines. They have kind of accepted the Philistines as their overlords, and we're going to see in the story of Samson, they really don't want anything to upset that relationship, that power dynamic. Um, No one is praying for deliverance that we can tell here, for deliverance from Philistia. They are happy to be integrating with this other neighboring nation. Samson himself, his life, okay, this deliverer, this judge, this leader, his life is an example of this integration with this foreign power, with the Philistines. Um, When his childhood is over, uh, I guess you could say he grew up really quick, okay, Um, from these Nazarite vows, this strong moral anchor, okay, these these vows tying him to his God, uh, and these godly parents, um, and this incredible gift that God has given him, superhuman strength, um, he leaves home, and he doesn't act at all like someone who will be the deliverer of Israel from Philistia, okay? As soon as he gets out of the house... um, 
we find that he is very attracted to, to things Philistine, especially ladies from Philistia. Um, so he has this incredible physical strength. He has virtually zero moral strength, all right? Um, his major flaw is lust. While he has the strength to overcome armies of people, he is a weakling when it comes to the fairer sex. As a young adult, he travels from home for the first time. He sets his eyes on a gorgeous young Philistine lady from Timna. She is a knockout. He goes back home to mom and daddy, and he says, I want her. Okay? Make her my wife. The, the Philistine girl? Yes, the Philistine girl. She's the one for me. But she's not one of us. She's not an Israelite. I don't care. She's hot. Okay, that's my paraphrase. She is... Mm, I got to have her. And so begins a lifelong attraction to lots of ladies from Philistia. He loves Philistine girls like Israel loves Philistine gods. And this is his weakness, one that he is unable over and over and over to control and that leads to his ruin. Remember that phrase, weakness. God can turn weakness into strength. Interesting phrase because God is going to use not only Samson's strength, but God is definitely going to use Samson's greatest weakness to achieve his purposes. In, the, in this case, Israel has become way too comfortable with their Philistine taskmasters, with their Philistine neighbors. They are at peace with Philistia, and God needs someone to come along, on purpose or not. He needs someone to come along who will stir the pot. He needs an agent of chaos, which is precisely what Samson is, okay? Uh, so he's going to use this weakness to create chaos. Where? Chaos between Philistia and Israel. So Samson thinks he's in love with this Philistine girl. Uh, his parents oppose, but the Bible tells us what God was up to, all right? So this is in Judges chapter 14, verse 4. His parents this girl, this idea to marry her, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to what? To confront the Philistines. At a, for at that time, they were ruling over Israel. God needed somebody to stir the pot. He needed somebody to light the match. He needed somebody to create turmoil. He needed somebody like Samson. And so Samson and this gal, they get engaged. He tells a bunch of Philistine guys, this is where he breaks that first vow of no alcohol. I mean, this is a complete, uh, you know, just liquor and wine and everything else at this Philistine wedding celebration that goes day after day. And he tells some guys, uh, Philistine guys, at this wedding festival, he says, let's, let's do a deal here. I'm going to tell you a riddle, and if you can solve the riddle... 
I'm going to give each of you, 30 guys, I'm going to give each of you a very expensive, like Armani suit. I mean, a very expensive set of clothes. If you cannot solve the riddle in the next seven days, then you are each going to give me a set of expensive, like 30 sets of expensive clothes. Now, here's the riddle. It's, it's a little weird, but the riddle is this. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. It's a puzzler. In fact, they really struggle with this. Anyway, backstory on this. Previously, Samson had killed a lion with his bare hands. And in that lion carcass, this hive of bees collected, and they begin to do what bees do to produce honey. So, out of the eater, something to eat, honey. Out of the strong, something sweet. That is an impossible riddle. I think we would agree, unless someone tells you what the riddle means, okay? So, these guys, these Philistine guys, they go to, to Samson's, Samson's betrothed, and they say, please, 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 get the answer out of Samson. Get him to tell you the secret to this riddle. And, and she tries, and Samson's like, no, 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 I can't tell you, no, no, no. And then finally, right before the deadline, day seven of the wedding feast, he says, okay, here's the answer. It's a lion. A lion is the answer. She relays it to her Philistine friends. They win the bet. They solve the riddle, air quotes unsolved there. And so Samson owes them 30 sets of, one for each one of them, 30 sets of expensive clothes. He doesn't have the money to get these clothes. So guess what? We get some chaos between this Hebrew and the Philistines because Samson goes down to the Philistine city of Ashkelon and he finds 30 rich dudes to kill and take their clothes and then go back and repay his bet. Here's your clothes, here's your clothes, here's your clothes. Um, when he gets back, though, to his fiancée's house, he finds out that her father gave her away to another man. Um, he, <laughs> it's really bizarre. He offers Samson another one of my daughter, and he says something. I, can't, I just can't imagine a father doing this. He's like, hey, I gave my daughter away, but here's my younger one. She's even prettier. You can have her. So that's a little weird. But this gets Samson very upset. No, he wanted that first one, okay? So he's very, very upset. He wants revenge. Then you have this story of him trapping 300 foxes. Don't know exactly how that happened, but he trapped 300 foxes. He tied their tails together and stuck lit torches in between these pairs of foxes, and he sent them into the fields of the Philistines to just cause an inferno, to set their crops ablaze. The Philistines, they can't do much about Samson here. They can't think of anything. He's too strong for them. So they get to him by killing his ex, by killing this fiance and her father. They blame them for the mayhem. Samson decides he's going to kill even more Philistines. Again, this, is, this would be the second Nazarite vow being violated. He's around a lot of dead things, a lot of unclean things as he goes on this binge of carnage here. So remember, Israel is enjoying, or has been enjoying, this. You can say they were being oppressed. Oh, my, they were suffering horribly under the Philistines. Most of the Israelites were pretty cozied up with this. They're okay with it. And in fact, they begin to feel threatened by the chaos 
that Samson is bringing in this relationship between their two nations. And so they send envoys to Samson to say, cool it, man. You're making things rough between us and the Philistines. Chapter 15, verse 11. 3,000 men went from Judah. They went down to the cave in the rock of Edom, and they said to Samson, Don't you realize that the, Sam, that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Like, don't upset the balance here. They're ruling us. It's okay, man. I mean, do they, do they want deliverance? It doesn't look like it. Um, it's kind of the opposite. They're telling him, hey, don't make them mad. We're, we're okay not being delivered, okay? Um, so his own countrymen, they decide to smooth things over with Philistia. And so what do they do? The Israelites, they tie Samson up. And they take him to be delivered to the Philistines. Basically, they're delivering a dirty bomb to the Philistines here because what does he do? He breaks out of these bonds and the mayhem begins again. This time he picks up a, a bone of a, a jawbone of a donkey. Again, contact with a dead thing, uh, which is a violation of the Nazarite vows. Uh, and he begins just, just killing people left and right. Um, a thousand Philistine corpses lie around him when he is done with this jawbone of the donkey. Not exactly what the Israelites were hoping for when they turned over this peace offering to their Philistine masters, right? Uh, so, um, yeah, anyway. We fight, we've still got the, the hair left, okay? He hasn't broken that part of his Nazarite vow, the, the cutting of the hair. Um, at least he hasn't cut his hair yet. All right, that's coming. Um, so enter Delilah, in Judges chapter 16, wait a second, <laughs> right before we get to Delilah though, I guess there is this other encounter with a Philistine prostitute in Gaza. Um, and so while he's spending the night with her, he's got some Philistine enemies that are lying in wait at the city gates. Um, he kind of gets up in the middle of the night while they're like still asleep and heading out of town, he just picks up the Philistine gates with his bare hands, puts them over his shoulders, and he carries them like, like 30 miles on a hill just outside the town of Hebron. Why do we have those details in the story? What is the point of the city gates in terms of all of this narrative? It's just kind of cool. I mean, if you saw somebody pick up city gates and carry them 30 miles, you would want to tell someone, all right? I don't know how it exactly fits in the story, but it was really, really neat. Um, so, now for Delilah. He falls in love with another Philistine girl. This time her name is Delilah, famous Delilah. The Philistine authorities, they pretty much know what his weakness is at this point. I mean, it's not, you know, like rocket science to figure out this guy's got an issue with the ladies. And so they go to, to Delilah and they say, look, we will pay you a ton of silver if you can seduce the secret of his strength out of him. And so, you know, we have this game, this cat and mouse game that goes on with Samson, Delilah, and her puppet masters, the Philistine authorities that are promising her a bunch of money. So this goes back and forth for quite a while. Um, he says, okay, you want to know the secret? Uh, and he's just like making stuff up. But the secret, so he's a liar too, by the way. So the secret is 
tie me up with brand new bowstrings. I mean, brand new. You know, take them out of the out of the plastic wrap and tie me up with those, and I will lose my power. I will not be able to break free. And she's like, okay, okay. Well, she's got these Philistine guys hiding in this room, and so she's, she, as he kind of drifts off to sleep, she's like, Samson, Samson, wake up. The Philistines are coming. The Philistines are coming, and they pop out, and he just throws those bowstrings off like, I mean, like wet toilet paper, like nothing. Um, so it's like Delilah's kind of, you know, honey, you lied to me. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, it's just a weird story. You lied to me, but you set me up to be captured by the Philistines. I mean, they're both kind of uh, not being super ethical here, but she's like, you lied to me. Come on, sweetheart, tell me the truth. What is your secret? I'm begging you. I need to know the secret of your strength. And so he tells her, brand new ropes. I mean, just brand new ropes. If you tie me up with ropes that have never been used for anything else, then I will become powerless. So surprise, surprise, she ties him up again. Um, she cries out again, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are coming. They're here to capture you. Out they come, and he snaps out of the ropes. Again, she tries to get him to reveal the secret. This time, look, you've lied to me twice now. I need to know the secret. Please tell me your secret. And he's like, okay, this time I will tell you my secret. It's, it's in my hair. Um, he says, if you braid my hair then I become powerless. If you put it in braids with a loom, and so she gets it all braided up super tight using this big wooden loom, and then she calls out, the Philistines are here to arrest you, and he pops up with that loom still attached to his hair, and he is perfectly fine and just as strong as ever. And now we get to kind of the climax of this story, and I'll just read this from chapter 16, starting in verse 15. Then Delilah pouted, How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anybody else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep uh, with his head in her lap. And then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down and his strength left him. And she cried, Samson. The Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. 
So the Philistines captured him, gouged out his eyes. I imagine red-hot pokers took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. And there it is. This judge sinks deeper and deeper into sin. He is becoming further and further away from God, and he has absolutely no idea that he is drifting away from God. He's broken one vow, another vow, until all linkage with God is now dissolved. And that chilling, chilling verse there in 21, those words, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Delilah got her fortune. Samson lost everything. So finally, the Philistines have unlocked the source of Samson's strength. It was, it was not his hair. It was his God. And once all linkages were cut off between Samson and his God, they had him. God had been gracious to Samson in spite of decisions that Samson had been making. Over and over, God had allowed Samson to use his God-given gift. And over and over, God had allowed Samson to do it his way. And this is a tribute to the Lord, not to Samson, that God had worked through this person, this very flawed and weak person. In spite of Samson, the Lord has been accomplishing exactly what the Lord needed to accomplish. He had been seeding these, these seeds of chaos in this relationship between Israel and Philistia. He had used Samson's weakness for strength. Samson's, Samson's lust, Samson's quick temper... They had been leveraged to create this chaotic situation between Israel and Philistia. Now, every good thing we have is from God. It could be your strength. It could be your health. It could be your intellect. It could be God-given opportunities. It could be godly parents that you have been given. The ability to make money. The ability to form partnerships with other people. All the good gifts that we have, they come from God... Sadly, a God-given gift, and we've seen this in the book of Judges, a God-given gift can actually carry a person away from God when they cling to the gift without clinging to God. When we use what He has given us for our glory, not for His glory, we got problems. And so Samson, with this amazing God-given gift... He came to see himself as invincible. Did you catch it? I mean, he told, her the, he told her about his hair, and he didn't think it would matter. I'll wake up just like before. I'll take care of the Philistines. He had become so convinced of his invincibility that it would take him down. He saw himself as an unrestricted free agent. 
He could take his talents wherever he wanted and do with those talents whatever he pleased. He found himself broken. He's a husk of a human being. Eyes gouged out. Power gone. Locked away in a prison doing the work that an animal does. The work of an ox or the work of a donkey pulling a millstone around in circles all day long, milling grain for the Philistines. Couldn't go anywhere unless he was led by someone. Sometime passed, you know how the story unfolds. Sometime passes, passes, and the Philistines call Samson up out of the dungeon. They want a show. They want a performance. They want to use him uh, to bring glory to their god, a god named Dagon. Um, and so they bring him up for this giant festival they have where they're worshiping Dagon. Um, he is chained up in this large gallery, this kind of arena that is filled with thousands of worshipers. They are praising their God because of Samson. He's a trophy of their God's power. Look who Dagon delivered to us. Um, and you remember what happened. He has this young boy who was his guide take him over to these huge support pillars, these huge columns there in this arena. And there he stretches out. By the way, his hair has been growing back. And apparently his faith in God has been growing a little bit too because he stretches out his hands between these pillars. And for the first time in forever, Samson actually says a prayer to God, actually calls out to God for help. Verses 28 to 30 in chapter 16, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, Remember me again. O oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that head up the temple, pushing against them with both hands. He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers. And all the people. And so he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. That's a tragic ending to the story. God accomplished his purposes. But that's a tragic way to go. Um, now, since we don't have a lot of time left... I think there are a lot of lessons from Samson's story. So what I want to do is just, I'm going to throw a few bullet points up. And there, there are more lessons than these, but these are the ones that to me are significant and helpful. So just some things to consider. We won't talk much about them. But the first one would be, never assume that because God is using you, therefore you are right with God. Never assume that because you enjoy God's some tangible blessing, some tangible gift, some tangible opportunity. Never assume that means that you are right with God. God used Samson in powerful ways. 
but there was a disconnect, um, virtually a lifelong disconnect between God and Samson. How about this truth that we see in Samson's story? Sin looks great in the beginning. It almost always does. Sin looks great in the beginning, but it never ends well. There is always a price to be paid. There are always consequences to selfish and sinful choices. Did God use the ending of Samson's story? Absolutely, he did. But his story ends up with a suicide mission with his lifeless body buried with thousands of pagans in a pagan temple. There are always consequences to sin and disobedience. The next one would be this. Samson was a really strong guy. (laughs) But you are never so strong that you don't need the Lord. Amen? You are never so strong that you don't need the Lord. Samson's strength obviously becomes his great weakness. Um, He leans on this God-given gift so much that he never really develops any other part of his life. He certainly never develops an intimacy with God, the one who has called him to do great things, the one who has equipped him to do great things. And sometimes... If we recognize this, we become very powerful for the Lord. If we recognize that when we are at our weakest, God can be at His best. In other words, strength or a feeling of of adequacy, a feeling of self-sufficiency, those things can actually be very dangerous. Paul had this visit with the Lord. Remember, Paul invites, well, no. Paul begs for God to cure some sort of illness, a thorn in the flesh, and prays for this over and over again. And finally, he's not getting an answer to this prayer. I I don't know what kind of illness it was, this thorn in the flesh. He's not getting an answer. And finally, the Lord Jesus personally and verbally answers comes to him. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this is Paul relating this story. Jesus comes and says to Paul, Hey, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Here's something else I think we see in Samson's story, it goes along with what Jesus told Paul here. Um, it's best to humble yourself <laughs> rather than waiting for God to do it. It's best to humble yourself rather than waiting for God to do it. Finally, and incredibly, we find in Samson's story this. God uses, once again, Book of Judges 101, God uses all sorts of people to accomplish his purposes. Strong people, weak people, American people, Chinese people, Philistine people. He uses all kinds of people to get done what he needs to get done. And so, as it turns out, you look back on Samson's life, he had one great enemy in life. 
It wasn't Delilah. It wasn't the Philistines. His greatest enemy was Samson. His greatest enemy was the man in the mirror. His problem wasn't that he lacked strength. It was that he sabotaged himself over and over by failing to harness his strength, by failing to connect his strength to the God who gave him his strength. God still used him, but that was his flaw. And it's interesting, um, if you'll just explore this with me, we've got one more minute left here. I promise this will be short, but I find, obviously there are vast differences between Samson and Jesus But there are some striking commonalities, at least in the details of their stories. Um, We know they were both born of miraculous birth experiences. Uh, Mother visited by an angel to say, you're going to have this child. Seems impossible, but you are. And this child is going to be very significant, is going to be a deliverer for the people of Israel. Um, Samson was betrayed by his beloved by Delilah. Jesus was betrayed by his beloved, by Israel. Samson was a, was a chain breaker who died with his arms outstretched. But Jesus, he wasn't put in chains for his sins. He was put in chains for our sins. And he didn't die in order to take lives. He died in order to save lives. Let's pray, and then we'll worship together. Lord God, we come before you, before your throne of grace, confessing that we are sinners, that we are weak, that we are prone to selfishness, we are prone to pride. And it is so easy to take a life like Samson's, which you recorded for us in great detail, and to pick it apart and find the flaws, it is so easy. We invite your Spirit to go beyond that and to reveal our character flaws, places where you want to do some work in us, on us. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us, for opportunities that you've provided. But most of all, we want a relationship with you. We want to draw near to you. And we acknowledge our worthlessness. We acknowledge our sinfulness. We acknowledge also that we accept the gift that Jesus purchased for us on the cross that we are a new people, born of a new birth. We're your children. Use our lives however you see fit. Increase our faith. Increase our commitment to you, our love for you, our love for your people and your kingdom and your mission in the world. We ask all of this in the name of our chain breaker, in the name of our Jesus. Amen. Let's be standing. Let's praise God together.